It's great to be uh, with you guys tonight. <laughs> if I cough or splutter at all, it's because I was uh, singing uh, my lungs out uh, during that uh, Your Love Remains song. That was just awesome. If you haven't uh, been with us for the past couple of weeks, or if you have been with us uh, probably actually over the last few months, we've been going through the Gospel of John. It's one of the uh, books of the Bible uh, that talks about the life of Christ. And we've uh, given this whole series, this book, the theme of I Am. Because Jesus makes seven statements throughout the book, I Am. And then he says uh, something. We're going to talk about the last one of those tonight. Now, over the past few weeks... Um, we've been in a very particular part of the book. Jesus is in what's known as the upper room. He's coming to Jerusalem, and he is on his way to the cross. He's on his way to die, to do the most radical act in the history of, of time. And he has this moment with his disciples where he's, he's about to leave them. He's about to go, and he has a pastoral moment, a very loving, caring moment. And he says, guys, this is... These are the last things I'm going to tell you before I go. These are the last things that I want you to know before I, before I am uh, crucified and ascend to heaven. He spent some time talking. It began with a meal, and then Jesus uh, demonstrated servant leadership. He washed his disciples' feet. Uh, throughout the conversation, he, uh, he confronted Peter, and, and, and Peter said, Lord, I'll, you know, I'll die for you. And he says to Peter, one of his followers, Peter, you're about to deny me. Amongst this chat, Judas has left. He's left the dinner, one of the 12, so now there's only 11 remaining. And last week, Nick presented a, a wonderful message on Jesus promising his disciples that when I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, an advocate, a counselor, who's going to be with you in my absence. And this is the last of his I Am declarations. The first six were, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, the one who sustains. I am the light of the world, the one from whom we get wisdom. I am the gate. It's through him that we have access to the Father and to eternal life. I am the good shepherd. He cares for his people like the shepherd cares for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. No matter what, Christ has guaranteed our eternal life. And the one before this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only way to the Father. And today, his last I am, I am the true vine. If you want to grab your Bible, you can join me in John 15, chapter 1. If not, the words will be on the screen. Jesus speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus uses a very common uh, picture here. He says, I am the true 
vine. Now, in Israel, vineyards were plentiful, so his disciples would have understood he is referring indeed to a vineyard. But also in the, in the Old Testament, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, his disciples' ears would have pricked up. The first century Jews, and so they would have known that throughout the Old Testament, whenever the word vine was mentioned, it was referring to Israel, God's chosen people. But it wasn't always a rosy picture. In Psalm 80, Jesus, uh, um, the psalmist is writing about the people of Israel. He writes in Psalm 80, verse 8 to 9, You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. And the prophet Jeremiah writes, I had planted you, speaking to Israel, I had planted you like a choice of vine, of sound and reliable stock. How then did you turn against me into a corrupt and wild vine? This vine is a picture of God's chosen people, and he says, My plan for you was that I would clear a place for you. You would take root, you would be fruitful, you would be wonderful. You are my chosen people, this is what I want for you. But the story of Israel goes that they just couldn't do it. They failed time and again. They couldn't live up to what God wanted for them. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, I am the true Israel. I am everything Israel couldn't be. I am your only hope now. I will be everything that you couldn't be. I will do it all. And he's painting a picture here to his disciples. He's about to leave. So he picks a metaphor and he says, look lads, this is what it's going to be like. I'm the vine. I'm the most important thing in the vineyard. And you guys are the branches. And just like a vine and its branches, a branch is pretty useless by itself. Branch's purpose is to bear fruit, but it can only do that if it remains connected to the vine. So guys, I need you to remain connected to me. I need you to remain connected to me. Your purpose is to produce fruit. Stay with me. Now, my father is the gardener. The vineyard is his. It's his, it's his role to make sure that it's fruitful. He's going to do everything he can to make this vineyard fruitful. He's going to prune it. He's going to care for it. He's going to water it with the purpose of producing much fruit. Stay with me. Remain in me. I'm about to go, but this is what I want us to look like. This is what I want our relationship to look like. There's three things that that I want to pick up on tonight. Three things about this vine relationship that I believe the Lord is talking to us about tonight. Three things. One, pruning. Pruning. It's going to be a reality for any branch that remains in the vine. Second, abiding. Is abiding when he says remain in me, what does he mean? What does it look like? And finally, love that'll be where we land tonight. Jesus says, If we come to him, we remain in him for a branch, then there will be pruning. Come to me and be pruned. And now, I don't know if Jesus failed marketing 101, but you don't sell yourself by saying that. When you come to me, it's going to be painful. Shouldn't it be, come to me and you'll be blessed. Come to me and you'll have your best life now. Come to me and it will be sweet. I wonder if sometimes that's the way we're sold, sold Christianity. That's the way that, that popular preaching or teaching says, come to Jesus and everything is going to be okay. Your life will be great. No, Jesus says, if you're in me, you're going to be pruned. 
I don't know if you know much about uh, growing grapes. Um, I didn't. Uh, and so uh, for greater understanding, I went on to www.gardeningknowhow.com. And as I was preparing this, uh, my good friend Bryce Williams, he spoke this morning at the 9-11. We were going back and forth a bit and kind of studying this, this, uh, this passage together. And if I read something really profound, I text him, Bryce, I read this awesome thing. And he goes, yeah, man, I read that too. And we'd get on the phone and we'd yarn. And it was pretty much, we were, we were kind of going level, you know. I was learning, he was learning. And he called me a few days ago. He goes, bro, went to a vineyard today. So you really kidding me? I was on gardening know-how when he went to a vineyard. And it was an awesome visit for him, to be fair. And I got a lot out of it because he went to this vineyard in Masterton and he went to the vine grower and he said, look, man, I'm doing a sermon this Sunday and it's about pruning grapes, so can you kind of give me your knowledge? And this guy took him through the vines, in and out, walking around, talking to him about growing grapes and what pruning looks like and why it's good. And he was saying some just fascinating things. He says pruning is essential to producing fruit. And he says sometimes when you cut the vines back, pretty much the branches are, are ineffective. They're, they're almost dead. But he said it's during that time of pruning, it's during that time of hardship for the branch, that's when training can occur. And that's when you can help the branch be what you need it to be. And he said it's like disciplining a child. And he called it tough love. He said, when we prune the vine, it's sort of like tough love, but it's for a purpose. We know that by treating the vine, the branch in this way, it's going to bear much fruit. There's a purpose to the pruning. There's a purpose. And it looks awful at the time, but it's for future growth. And if you're a believer here, pruning is ordained by God. In verse 16 of, of chapter 15, Jesus says, I appointed you to bear fruit, which means he appoints pruning. He brings into our lives times of difficulty and and struggle and trial for a purpose. Because the mark of a Christian, the mark of a follower, is that there is fruit. And if there is no fruit, there's a question. Is the branch connected to the vine? And in the, in the earlier verses, Jesus uh, said um, a branch that bears no fruit was cut off. And, and that's not saying if you're, if you're a believer and all of a sudden there's no fruit, then bang, you're done. No, he's saying uh, the verb that's actually used there is lift up. If there's no fruit, then the, the vineyard owner will come and lift up the branches to try and make them more fruitful. There needs to be fruit. It's the mark of a believer. So what are we talking about then here? Fruit. What do we mean by fruit in the Christian life? Are we talking about nailing the job, got the car, got the girl, got the boy, got the everything that you want, material possessions? Is this the sort of fruit that we're looking for in the Christian life? Now, there is debate amongst some commentators about what this fruit refers to. Some say he's absolutely only referring to saved souls. He's referring to evangelism. But others, and it's more commonly held that Jesus here is talking about what we find in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5 reads, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. This is the fruit Jesus is talking about. This is what he wants to see in our lives as branches connected to the vine. This is what he wants to see. And he uses pruning often to bring it about. But it's not very popular. Why? Why pruning? Why pain? Why hardship? Why can't there just be fruit? God, if you want me to be more patient, just make me patient. If you want me to be more loving, just make me loving. Wouldn't that, isn't that more palatable? Wouldn't we want it that way? But like a, on a vine, grapes don't just appear, they grow. So character in our lives is developed over a period of time and often through difficult circumstances. Ever prayed for patience and then a very uh, undesirable circumstance comes your way, either you're sitting in traffic, actually on the way here, on the way to a friend's place today, we're driving along and there was traffic everywhere. And uh, my lovely wife, Gabrielle, was, we were late and she says, do you think God wants me to be more patient? Uh, yes, dear. Or have you ever asked God, God, help me, to, I need to be more loving. And he brings someone into your life who is very difficult to love. It's often the way that it goes. He won't just make you bear fruit. He will bring a situation that requires growth. This is how he works. And this pruning is painful but necessary. And uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about uh, the purpose of this in Hebrews 12.10. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. Now, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And what he's not saying here is punishment. He's not talking about punishment for the believer here. If you're a believer, punishment is paid for. The sin that we have, the sins we've committed, the way that we've lived before, has been nailed to the cross. There is no, Romans 8, another book in the Bible, Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, for a believer, when difficult times come, it's not punishment. It's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity for growth. Sometimes it is correction. And it takes a bit of discernment to figure out which one it is. And, and I've found in my life a very helpful uh, prayer to pray during difficulty is, is when I'm not sure, God, is this just an opportunity for growth here? Or, or are you pointing out something in me that needs to be changed? And I'd encourage you to, to write down Psalm 139.24. Psalm 139.24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out any offensive way in me. And lead me along the path everlasting. You can ask him, God, is this difficult time? Is this difficult situation? Is this difficult person? Is this what I'm facing at the moment? Is this you just growing me? Is this you wanting more fruit for me? Or God, is, is there something in my life that's not quite right? Please point it out to me. He is faithful. No, one of the uh, the most uh, joyful and uh, pruning, I think, periods in my life has actually been over the past uh, nine months uh, since I got married. Um, and that is nothing to say about my beautiful, godly, lovely, amazing wife, okay? That is just the nature of two people uh, coming together in a very 
uh, strong but amazing way. And and one of the things, uh, for Gab, I'm glad she's smiling. My wife works at the hospital, and and, and in uh, the past couple of months, she's on a very difficult uh, rotation there, a very difficult placement, and she was studying at the same time, so she's working a crazy 10-hour day, then coming home and studying in the evenings. She was just getting burnt out. Really, really, um, I think it was definitely a time of pruning for her. And through all this, God was, was shaping her and showing her that He is faithful. That He is faithful, that no matter what the situation comes, He is with her. She's not alone. She'll make it through. And God was using that pruning situation for Gabrielle to prune me too, because I was having to pick up a lot of the, um, the household duties the cooking and the cleaning and the, the ironing and the hair straight, not my hair, her hair. Um, but I was finding that the times when um, I would try and do it in my own strength didn't work out that well. When I was looking to me to be patient, to be loving, to be kind, I'd find myself elbows deep in, uh, in the dishes, scraping food off the plates and just resentment and bitterness going up inside. And Gabrielle would be like, you're right, dear? Fine. Fine, just just serving you here. I'm just serving. And invariably there'd be conflict because I was operating out of my own strength. I wasn't getting what I needed from the vine. But there were times when I knew I needed, I can't, I, times I said, God, I can't be the husband I need to be without you. Jesus, please come. Help me be patient. Help me be kind. Help me be loving. And that's when things changed for us. And I was able to serve my wife completely selflessly because it was Christ in me, living through me. And that leads us on to the next point, abiding. A branch can only bear fruit if it's pruned. It can only be pruned if it's abiding. Verse 4, remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Stay in me. If you want to be fruitful, if you want the fruit of the Spirit developing, growing, ongoing in your life, you have to remain connected to the vine, to the source. What does this mean? What does abiding mean? What does it look like? What we're talking about here is a wonderful truth in the Bible known as union with Christ. It means if you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. In Galatians, the writer Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. You in Christ, Christ in you. And that sounds really confusing. How can one be in one and the other be in the other at the same time? But I heard a great picture about this the other day. It's like a sunken ship at the bottom of the ocean. The ship contains part of the ocean, but the ocean contains the entirety of the ship. And so it is with us. In verse 3, Jesus says something really uh, peculiar that relates to this abiding. He says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Already clean. What does it mean already clean because of the word I've spoken to you? This word refers to, what Je- refers to what Jesus has been telling them all along throughout the past three years of ministry with him. That he is the Son of God who came in the flesh, was without sin, died for humanity, was raised from the dead, 
by believing in this, we become clean. Jesus is saying, by believing what I've spoken to you. And that's why we preach the gospel, because it's by believing in who Jesus is, what he says he is, what he said he would do, that we become clean. Jesus spoke of this earlier in John 5, where he says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He He has crossed over from death to life. The tense he's using there is already. You already have eternal life. Abiding in Christ as a branch in the vine means that you already have eternal life. You already are clean. And now Jesus is saying, now live up to it. You already have this in eternity, be it now. You are already, but not yet, so be it now. Being being united with Jesus means he is already what we couldn't be. He is the true vine in us, helping us produce more fruit. He is helped because he is perfect patience. He is perfect kindness. He is perfect love. He is perfect faithfulness. Connection with him means that flows through us. He helps us be what we already are in eternity. For you students here tonight, when you signed up for Massey or for Vic, you signed up and you were, you are a student and now live up to it. You are a student. Now sleep until 11 and go to Courtney Place and, you know, now live up to it. Be a burden to your parents, you know. Now live up. No, that's what I'm saying. He's saying if you, you sign up, you are a student, now live up to it. Turn up to class. Do your studies. Pass. Don't waste your degree. Be a student. You are one, now be it. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's why I think I found reading this, the the, the picture of the withered branches is just uh, so awful. Because what he says is, you can be a branch connected to me. And you can have everything that I have. Perfect love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness faithfulness, self-control, union with him. It's what you can have. It's what I want for you. Or you can be like a branch that doesn't remain connected and withers and, and dies because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Did a really interesting uh, word study on the word nothing. And in the uh, original Greek, that word means um, nothing. Here or not. As a Christian, where do you turn to when things go wrong? When you need more patience, when you need more of something, when you know your character doesn't live up, doesn't match up to what you need it to be. As a non believer, if you're here tonight, when things are going wrong and you need more of something, when you need more patience, when you need, you know you need more kindness, you know you need to be faithful. Where do you turn? The option is either within, muster something up, try and grow inside. I just got to try harder to be more patient. Got to try harder to produce more fruit. That's one option, and it doesn't work because we know that we fail time and time again. The other option is, God help me, help me be more patient. 
help me be more calm. I need more fruit in my life. You already have it, Jesus. You are perfect. Your fruitfulness is perfect. Your faithfulness is perfect. Your love is perfect. I need some of that. Please help me in this. To abide then means to rely on Jesus, lean into him, trust him, to be all that we can, that we can't be. And how do we do this? Well, he gives it to us in verse 7. He says, if my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. Two things he encourages disciples to do. He says, if my words remain in you, ask. Words, ask. Scripture and prayer. Scripture and prayer. Two very simple things that we will tell, that the, the preaching here at the street will say over and again. Read your Bible and pray. Reading and prayer. How often does this sit and gather dust at home? How often does the app remain unopened? For me, all too often. All too often. There's time for me in the morning to read, but that snooze uh, just is a little bit too but too tempting sometimes. His word is life. His word in 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture, everything in here is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. There is life to be found in reading his word. That is what abiding looks like, is delighting in the word of God. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 1. It paints the picture. It tells about a man whose delight is in the, the word of God and said, Blessed is the man who does not rejoice in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand around with sinners, nor sit around with mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates, on his word he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by a river, bearing fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither, whatever he does prospers man, the woman who delights in the word of the Lord is your delight there. Every time you open it, he will speak to you. Spend time in it, dive into it, read it. There's so much to be, there's so much joy, there's so much life, there's so much power in having the word of God with you. Memorizing scripture, I'm appalling at it, but the times that I, the word, the scripture I've memorized over the years have become so helpful to me. Times of anxiety, I recall Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Scripture is powerful. Preach to yourself. Remember it. Record it. That's his words. And second is prayer. Prayer. Constant communication with him. My relationship with my wife would be awful if we didn't talk. And there's times when, because of my work, I have to travel quite a bit and we don't really get to communicate like we want. We and we come home and there's just there's a little bit of distance there because I haven't been able to tell her, hey, this is what my day was like and how was your day and what's on your mind and, and, and what's God been teaching you these past few days and, and then we're able to connect and relationship is restored because we've communicated. It's the same with God. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to talk to him. And it doesn't have to be wake up two hours earlier and spend two hours in fervent, deep prayer. Prayer is, is sometimes it's a long petition, it's, sometimes it's a 15 minute praise, sometimes it's a 10 minute whine, sometimes it's a 5 minute rant to him sometimes it's just God help me it can be little 
little tweet prayers. Often I, most of my day is punctuated by these. And part of my job is calling donors. I work for a charity and just pick up the phone. Lord, help me. It's fine, cool. Dial away. Little prayers, little, little constant flow of communication. But here you just maintains that connection, abiding in him, talking to him constantly. 1 John 2, 6 says, He who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And how did Jesus do this? He lived in love. Join me in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Our relationship as a branch to the vine means abiding in his love because he is love. His essence is love. If you are connected to love, love flows through you, from the vine, through you, producing fruit, which blesses other people, which blesses other people. Loving is fulfilling the commandment of Jesus in verse 10. Why is this, why is this a reminder? Why does Jesus remind his disciples, remain in my love? Surely it would, it would just be a, a no-brainer. They know who he is. They know he's a, they know he's the son of God. It almost goes without saying, doesn't it? Remain in my love. But he says it because he knows that this world, for his disciples back then, for us now, this world is going to do everything it can to steal our affection away from Jesus Christ. Everything it can to steal our affection away from loving him as our supreme treasure. So what do we do with it? When we're tempted not to abide, what do we do with that? How do we combat that? Well, we need to soak in the love of Christ, rejoice in it. We need a greater, deeper, more wonderful appreciation for his love and for who he is. How do we do that? I read a great, a great quote by uh, an American pastor called Matt Chandler. Uh, the other day, and he encourages people to fill your life with things that stir up affection for Jesus Christ and simultaneously cut out of your life things that rob you of those affections. Fill your life with things that stir up affection for Jesus. What is it for you? What is it for you? The things that you do that make you rejoice and just go, wow, God, you are amazing. For me, it's, it's, it's a good meal with, with Gabrielle and some friends. I love having people around at our dinner table enjoying a nice meal, a nice red wine, and just watching the community build. People laughing and joking and smiling and enjoying the food that we've made. I just love sitting back in those times and just basking in what's happening around me and the love and the joy. I love sunsets. I love, I love driving at dusk. I love walking on the beach at sunset. Looking at a sunset for me is just a wow moment. And that makes me love Jesus even more. Touch rugby actually is one of the things that makes me love Jesus even more too. I can't wait for someone to come around because I get to play a touchdown at Island Bay. And it's kind of like a, uh, it's almost like uh, 
masochism <laughs> for me, really, because it's like punishment. My body hurts, my lungs are burning, there's sweat pouring down my head. Sometimes I injure myself, but I just, I just revel in it because I just love being able to play sport. And at the end of touch, my heart is full, and I just praise God every Thursday night. God, thank you that I get to do this. This is wonderful. Fill your life with things that stir up affection for Jesus Christ while simultaneously cut out of your life things that will rob you of those affections. What robs you of your affection for Jesus? For me, it's um, it's, it's Netflix. I can't get into uh, binge-watching series. It, it, it messes me up, seriously. My wife and I, Gabrielle, we started watching Suits a few months ago. We were just smashing it. I'm talking like three, four, five episodes in a row, and I'm like starting to wear suits and do my hair like Mike Ross, and you know, I was like, I, I get caught up in it. Honestly, it just, it's not good for me to binge watch these series because it starts to twist how I see the world. It starts to twist what I find important and attractive, and it robs me of loving Jesus even more. So it it might not be like that for you. You might be totally fine watching Netflix, you know, Suits, Game of Thrones, whatever, don't watch Game of Thrones. Um, But that's me. What is it for you? What is it for you that robs you of your affection for Jesus? Cut it out. It's just not worth it. He is calling us to something higher. He is calling us to joy in his presence, union with him. So why would we dabble with anything that would tear us away from that? In 1 John 4, Jesus says, uh, Paul writes, sorry, John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. We love because he first loved us. Being a branch from Jesus' vine means living a life of love because you're connected to the source that flows from him, through you, and out to other people. Jesus says, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man in this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus demonstrated the greatest act of love by dying for us. Why is that the greatest act of love? Dying for someone. You can give your possessions away. You can give someone all your money and keep your life. You can give someone the very clothes off your back but you still have your stomach and you can still eat food. You can give away everything that you have. But when you give up your life, you give up everything. Your possessions, your family, your future, your health. Everything is given up and he gave up everything for us. Jesus demonstrated the greatest act of love by dying for us. He became sin to pay for us. He lived perfect love. He was the embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. He lived perfect love because we're prone to selfishness. He lived perfect joy because we're prone to self-pity. He lived perfect peace because we're prone to dissension and conflict. He lived perfect patience because we're prone to impatience. He lived perfect kindness because we're prone to be unkind. He lived perfect goodness because we're not. He lived perfect faithfulness because we're prone to give up. And 
He lived perfect self-control because we're prone to impulsive living. He was perfection. He is perfection. The true vine. And he says, remain in me, abide in me. And all this, all this love will flow from to you and out to other people. I want to invite the, the music team back up just as I uh, conclude with these final thoughts. Jesus did what we can't do. And he did it all for our joy and for God's glory. The vineyard owner that Bryce spoke with as he was showing Bryce around the vineyard, he says, you know what? I get so much joy seeing people enjoy the fruit of the vine. I get so much joy when I see people sipping on that red and seeing them enjoy it. It brings me joy, the vineyard owner said. In verse 8, Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. No one goes to a vineyard and looks at the, the grapes laid on the branches and go, Wow, fantastic branches. Brilliant branches. Wonderful branches. Those are exceptional branches. They go, Who is the vineyard owner? Who is this gardener? Look at this vineyard. It is fantastic. It is beautiful. It is fruitful. Who owns this place? This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. The fruitfulness in your life, the character growth in your life isn't for you to get the glory. It's for God. He looks good when you are satisfied in Him. And lastly, it's for our joy. Verse 11, I've told you all this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Jesus says, I've told you all this about the pruning, about the abiding, everything is for your joy, not your happiness. Happiness is temporary and based on external circumstances. Joy is long, deep, and lasting and comes from the inside. It is Christ's joy living in us. It's his joy, complete joy. He says, my joy in you will be full. So that come what may, come good circumstances, come bad circumstances, pruning, painfulness or fruitfulness his joy is in us and our joy is full and that makes God look wonderful you stand and worship the God who gave it all who gave it all for your joy for his glory we reflect on that as we sing Just thinking, there's a there's a lot to take in there, like incredible stuff, and I reckon God's um, highlighted a bunch of different things throughout that. Michael, would you be able to chuck up that last slide that from from what Jeremy just had? One, yeah. Um, just take a moment and just ponder everything that Jeremy said. I'm sure there'll be something that's just like hit home. Some of you may be that pruning thing. Might be a while. Let's just reflect before we worship.
Today. 